Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee Clarks. I'm your co-host, Javian. And I'm Tyler. And today we have a super, super special guest today that I've known for years. He is the assistant professor of trumpet at Ithaca College up in New York. Um, and he is a great musician, great all-around all music educator. He's, he's working with various ensembles. He, I uh, believe, teaches with uh, the Cadets Drum Corps. Um, so without any further ado, let us welcome the Dr. Aaron Whitty. Yeah, thank you both so much. It's so, I'm so glad to be here and to get to spend some time with you and drink some coffee. Awesome, yes, awesome. <laughs> you said the magic word, coffee. So, are we doing Clarks during this as well? Well, you know, we do that before the show starts and then we do the coffee See, Oh, you didn't tell me that. I, okay, I was so, getting ready to do them during this, so I'll do it after. Well, since we're, since we're talking about coffee, so Tyler, what are you drinking today? Yeah, so today I'm drinking coffee from Counterculture, and this one, this bag is called Hologram, and uh, it's it's nice. I, I I got first introduced to Counterculture back when I was living in Atlanta, so I haven't had their coffee since then, but this one is a, a sweet, medium body, uh, very on the fruity side as far as the flavor notes. It's nice. So I, I enjoy it. And I got it in my master's mug, even though this is a TPC weekend. Um, yeah, but you know, it's still it's golf is golf. Um, golf. Yeah. What about you, Javian? Uh, so I, I have a, a little, uh, well, it's a great story for me because <laughs> so uh, a few weeks ago, I was driving um, back to campus, went for a little coffee break at a coffee shop in town. And uh, uh, my colleague was driving, and in the corner of my eye, I saw we passed this coffee roaster um, full throttle, and we didn't know they exist. So we, like, stopped, we pulled over, and we went in there, kind of poked our head in, and the guy was in there, the owner, and he's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about what we do here. You know, we make all the coffee beans for all these uh, the local cafes in our area, and he gave us a full tour of their facility and we were talking and he's like, hey, you guys want like some, uh, a free bag of beans? We're like, yeah. <laughs> so he gave us a free bag of beans. He's like, hey, if you ever need coffee, just stop by. You know, we got plenty. Trust me, just, it's fine. So like, yeah, so I've been drinking um, Full Throttle, um, their Honduras blend. Um, it's a medium blend. It's really, really good. It's kind of uh, fruity, very similar to what you described for your your coffee. So I've been, you know, brewing theirs on my um, my Chemex at home, and it's been really, really good. So good time. So I now have an official hookup in town. They got to have those. So Aaron, as our guest, tell us, do you drink coffee? What type of coffee do you drink? Do you do? Or what are you drinking today? Well, gentlemen, I did not start drinking coffee until three years ago. Mm. And all my students have always been shocked by this because if you've worked with me or you know me, I'm pretty high energy coming at you, right? <laughs> and, yeah, um, very surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I run on adrenaline. So, um, no, I am drinking coffee now. Uh, after teaching for what 15 years or whatever it's been college i realized that i need it that i'm dying <laughs> and that's in the background that's emma drinking some of the 
finest Ithaca water that you can hear. Uh, in the, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, so I am drinking a very, very special glass. It's fruity. It's a light blend. Mm. It is a local <laughs> supermarket off-brand hearing <laughs> 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 <Your egg> cup. <laughs> uh, just breakfast blend, uh, blend coffee. Um, and uh, we have this grocery store called Tops here, and they make it, and I, I do that. Um, so I, it, when I drink coffee, it's mainly a, that, or I go out for coffee. So, and there are places that I really like their coffee. So there, um, but I don't normally drink coffee. I drink mocha lattes. <laughs> so at home, I don't make mocha lattes, but uh, at home, I do really like Delight Creamer makes an Oreo creamer mm. <laughs> and it's so good. But the amount of sugar you're getting, of course, is pretty high. But um, I, I highly recommend checking out in Ithaca. Um, and I think they ship around the world. There's this place called Ithaca Coffee and they also roast their own beans and all. And it's very good. Um, so I like going to Ithaca Coffee. There's a lot of great local places here. Um, we have another place called Gimme Coffee. That's pretty good, but it's a really dark roast. I'm not so much of a fan of a real dark roast. It's probably because I'm still a baby to coffee. <laughs> um, I forgot to tell you how I started drinking coffee. This is a good story for you. Okay. So I was a guest artist in Australia. Uh, this is my first year teaching here at Ithaca College. And we have a, a rule here that you can only miss five days of school in a row. Um, so I you know, going to Australia is a little bit of a hike. Um, <laughs> so I paired it up with like, I ended up like leaving like the start of a, right before the start of a weekend and went for a week and came right back. And I flew in and out of Philly, which is about four and a half hours from here. So uh, got out there, handled the time change. It was a complete flip, totally fine. Everything was good. And so the way I did that was I just stayed up all night, the whole flight and all night and just, you know, recalibrate there. It does not work the same if you come back for some reason. <laughs> so I come back, it's a Sunday night and I pass out uh, and I had to drive four and a half hours to get home. Cause like I said, I flew out of Philly. We have airports here, but it was cheaper. And, you know, uh, it was, I think only two stops versus three or something. Um, and I go into school the next day, Monday to teach. And I feel like semi hit me, you know, <laughs> and I'm there teaching lessons. And this is me teaching lessons, like trying to keep my head up, you know? So I walk to the student union. I'm like, I know they sell coffee on campus. I got to go get some of that. So I walk in there and I find where they sell it. And I, I go to the young lady and I say, I would like the strongest thing you make. And she looks at me and I think she can tell, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, do you like sweet or bitter? I said, considering I don't like coffee at all, the sweetest thing you make probably isn't going to. So she made me a double mocha latte, uh, which now I've learned is like nothing. That's like my chocolate. My, that's, like, <laughs> that's like literally me having like hot cocoa now. Yeah. Um, so now I'll get like a, so, well, I, I'll finish the story. The next day I go to this place called Gimme Coffee here in town. Like I said, really dark roast. And, and at this time, uh, the place on campus was a Starbucks. And I, I really do actually like Starbucks. Um, 
but so I go to Gimme Coffee, and so Starbucks small maybe is like that. A Gimme Coffee is like a pixie cup. Okay, mm. <laughs> it's like so small. And I go in there. I said, like, I'm like trying to remember what I had the day before. Again, not knowing anything. I'm like, I think I had like a a mocha double. And I'm like, I didn't even know what that meant. And they're like, well, we ours are automatically a double. Do you want a quad? I'm like, well, four is better than two. Of course I do. <laughs> so they make this thing. But honest to God, the whole thing is like espresso. Mm. And it was awful. My colleagues are dying laughing at me. They see me in the hallway just sipping on this and they're just laughing. So that's how I got into drinking coffee. And uh, wow. so now I drink something tame, a breakfast blend with some kind of yummy creamer at home, or I get a cold brew, like Starbucks cold brew, or Aldi makes a cold brew. Um, but I'm actually trying to wean off some now. I'm trying to to reduce the sugar and the caffeine a little bit, you know, trying to get swole for summer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my long story on what I'm drinking. And it's in a, it's in a Yamaha mug that my friends at Yamaha. Hey, hey, nice. Nice. Very kind of them to give me a mug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little sponsor plug there. Um, so speaking of which, let's talk a little bit of um, how you got started into playing trumpet you know, take us through that journey as a, as a young kid playing maybe middle school, high school band, and then making that decision to want to pursue this, you know, after high school. What was that yeah. like? Yeah, it's great. Um, so in, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in outside of Buffalo, New York, so Western New York area. And in New York, uh, we most districts and all start students in fourth grade on instruments. You do recorder in third grade. That's your introduction into instruments, kind of, and then you get to kind of you get a sheet and you get to rank what you want to play. My older brother, he's four years older than I, he plays cello or he played cello. And I remember going to the concerts and I was always excited to hear the band. The band was like the highlight as a kid. Like, you know, the band sounded so good and the orchestra was not so good, but it makes sense, right? They're young and their ears aren't tuned to doing it. It's really hard. So I was like, I want to be in the band. Um, so I think like a lot of kids, my number one instrument choice was I wanted to do percussion or at that time I put drums, right? I wanted to be like Animal and Sesame Street. And, you know, <laughs> you ever seen the clip of, uh, uh, or Cookie Monster, it's Cookie Monster, I think. Mm. Cookie Monster or Animal against Buddy Rich on the drums. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, and then I put cello a second because I literally didn't know anything else. So they see a tall male puts cello. They're probably going to try to pair that person up with cello because it's a big instrument to carry around. So they came and said, you're going to play cello and all. And I remember as soon as the orchestra teacher left, I went to the band and I'm like, I want to play cello. So I want to be in the band. He's like, well, you can play cornet. I thought he said clarinet. I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, okay, I just wanted to be in the band. That's all I wanted to do. So I show up day one, they hand me this thing that looks like a trumpet, it's a cornet. And um, <laughs> I, I was the only one actually in the band program playing cornet or trumpet at that moment. And then fifth grade, a couple more students came on, sixth grade, more students came on. And in sixth grade, I had study hall, which is pretty neat. So during study hall, my teacher would let me go down to the band room and the band teacher would let me help the other the, the beginning trumpet players and that's kind of where I fell in love with teaching 
Now I fell in love with music way before I even started an instrument. I was as a little kid, we're talking four or five years old, listening to classical music, bouncing to it. Like I would bounce, I broke my mom's couch, bouncing, listening to classical <laughs> music. I was listening to the pop radio station all the time. I didn't watch TV, I just listened to music. Uh, opera, I was just, I don't know, something about it just felt good. I would just sit and listen and bounce my head against her couch and break it. <laughs> it had springs in it, that's why. I don't think they make couches with springs in them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, middle school, I went to middle school, a lot more trumpet players because all mm-hmm. the schools come together and I sat second or third last chair mm-hmm. when I started middle school. So that was seventh grade where I was going to school. Um, the next year I worked my way to second chair, uh, and my best friend to this day, one of my best friends to this day, Dan Scott, who's a sound designer and engineer, and he's does tons of work for, uh, Disney and he's won a Grammy and all. Uh, he was the first trumpet player, sat next yeah. to me. We're nice. still best friends. I mean, we talk all the time. It's so cool, the, the friends that you make through what we do, right? And um, my other best friend was a bassoon player in that band during that time. We're still, to, you know, still hang out and talk. So uh, Dan never lets it down that he sat above me, first chair. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and then went to high school, made into the wind ensemble, you know, played first trumpet in the marching band, you know, it just took off. I found my home, right? Like, mm-hmm. it was like, I was with all these people and there's a common goal and just get in the jam out and make music. Um, and I was doing some teaching during that time as well. So I was really fortunate to really had started unofficially teaching, I guess, in sixth grade. Um, and so I just kind of really during high school was like, I really want to teach music. And there was kind of really no other option. Like that's kind of what I was planning to do. I was looking at theater design as well. I did lighting design and set design. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at that. Um, so the kind of speed track this, I ended up at the Crane School of Music, SUNY Potsdam, where I did a music education degree. Um, and I feel like now I can be very honest about this stuff and all, but I auditioned at several schools and didn't get in. Um, and I ended up finding out afterwards, the reason I didn't get into several schools was because of like the, the oral skills tests that you had to do. I'd never done that in my life. You know what I mean? And, and that was really, I could match pitch, but like remembering like they'd have you sing back like seven pitches in a row and stuff. And you know, you're nervous and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I remember auditioning at Crane and I had a really, really, well, I actually don't remember my specific audition, the first one, besides that there's a huge snowstorm going there. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned and they seemed really into me though. I mean, they talked, they asked me questions about me coming there and like, you know, what's my interest and all. And I was like, oh, wow, like this was pretty good. And then I got a rejection letter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so I, I contacted them. I'm like, I'm just curious, you know, uh, it seemed like you, you really were interested in me. What's going on? Um, and I'm bringing this up because I think it's important for all listeners and all to see that we all go through things and it's not the straight path of success, you know, making it to where we are. I've, I've failed more times than I've been successful. Um, but we learn through those failures. And anyway, so I, I talked to them they, they, and they said, we're willing to give you another re-audition. They didn't say anything about my audition. I said, okay. So my stepdad and I went up there 
made a special trip, played my audition. I remember that audition. It went well um, for, you know, 18 year old Aaron Wittick, what I remember. <laughs> and um, my stepdad was outside the room and, and no one in my family besides my brother playing cello was musical. Um, I guess my grandfather was, but I never really got to, to meet him uh, besides when I was a baby. So um, the horn teacher was outside the office and said to my stepdad, she's like, he's got to get in. Like, I was like, you know, so I found that out after. So anyways, my stepdad and I are walking to go to the union to grab, uh, to grab lunch. And one of the administrative assistants come running down the door, running down the stairs and chases outside. She's like, Aaron, Aaron, do you have some time? I'm like, sure. She's like, we strongly advise you to retake the oral skills test. Strongly advise you is what she said. So I took it with the dean. Mm-hmm. And then right then and there, he's like, congratulations, you're, you made it into school. And so it was interesting because I didn't know why I was being, you know, why I wasn't making it. And it was for something that I had never done. And, and it was, and it was challenging. The oral still stuff's challenging, like looking at music and singing it. I was very much just like, this is what a C feels like, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's how I knew music. Um, I think a lot of schools have gotten away from maybe the sight singing or they use it as a placement, but not to get into the institution, unless if you can't match pitch at all, I imagine. Um, So yeah, went to Crane. Uh, studied with John Ellis. Um, Jim Medea was the other trumpet professor there as well. And I, I took some classes with him that were outstanding. Um, had some great band directors there. And uh, at the end of that was the housing market crash in all 2008 was when I was graduating. And in New York State, you need to get a master's degree to get tenure uh, or to be tenure eligible to teach in the public school. So my plan was to become a high school band director. That's what I wanted. Wanted to have a marching band. Um, I actually really ended up enjoying doing middle school um, student teaching, but um, you know, very low market for jobs at that point, knowing that and also knowing that I really wanted, if I was going to go to school to be full-time and really trying to just perfect my craft the best I can or I could and um, so I auditioned a couple places I ended up unlike my undergraduate getting into all of them (laughs) um, and got a full ride at one of them and then um, it's interesting because Florida State University was a late ad for me and that and then I visited and was absolutely in love like that I'm like this is where I want to go so uh, both you gentlemen are familiar with FSU as alums. And uh, so I auditioned for both Brian Goff and Christopher Moore. And it just felt like home. It just felt right. Uh, visiting the people I met. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked with Jonathan Stites at all on here or yeah. not, but I know you know Jonathan Stites. He became one of my best friends and I met him when I auditioned. And it was just like, we clicked. Like, it was like, man, this feels like the place I want to be. And I was so fortunate to receive an assistantship. And I, so I did my master's degree there in performance and auditioned at maybe four or five schools for doctorates. I got into the majority of them. I was waitlisted at one. Yeah, I got into all and waitlisted at one. And 
it just felt right to stay at Florida State University after going through that whole process. So I ended up doing my doctorate there. And uh, so I got that in performance. Uh, never did I expect during my master's that I wanted to be a college professor. Uh, I thought I was going to become a high school band director still. That's what I wanted. But there was something pulling me to um, becoming a college professor. And I'm sorry, I'm like rambling so long. You can cut no, me no, off. No, this is, like, this is awesome. Okay, because it goes into like, it interweaves between all these things. Like during my master's, I was so fortunate. I think it's pretty rare for a person to have a master's degree and to actually get to teach trumpet majors. Mm -hmm. I was doing that. I was coaching chamber music and I was assisting with studio duties. I was running um, the, the weekly seminar, bi-weekly seminar, whatever that was called. Um, and I was also serving on the Dean's council. Like I was really active and finding like, this kind of feels right for me. Like this feels like what I should do. And it was interesting because it was almost, again, it was a 180 because when I went to do my undergrad, I did not like teaching lessons. Mm. I wanted to be in front of the band conducting the band. I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to do marching band. Um, and then I also didn't want to do general music. Then I went to student teaching and I loved doing general music and I loved working with elementary and middle school. And then I go to Florida state and I start working with undergraduate music majors, teaching lessons. And I fall in love with doing that. And it's like, what? You know what I mean? It's just like, so, and I tell my students this story all the time because it's like, you never know. You never know what it is that you want and what you want to end up doing. I have a, a colleague who just yesterday announced that she's retiring uh, from here and she's a remarkable uh, professor. And she's retiring and said that she has found a lot of interest in teaching beginner students her, her instrument. And that's what she's going to go do. And I'm just like, how cool is that? You know what I mean? Like that. It's like, it's kind of like not recreating yourself, but finding a new passion or something new that's exciting. So, um, so yeah, I ended up after FSU, I had lined up going to, I was going to be adjunct at um, University of South Alabama with Peter Wood. Uh, they made me do a whole interview process for it. I had to play a recital. I had to, I mean, it was wild what they made me do, but it was great. Such a great experience. Was set up to do that. And then I was on tour that summer teaching drum and bugle corps. And uh, I, I, I got a note from a friend saying, hey, just letting you know, this job is going to be posting. I heard about it through the grapevine and get your stuff ready. And it was for a full-time position, one-year position at the University of Louisiana Monroe. Uh, just happened, Bill Hagerberg, which I know you both know Bill. Um, I was standing up in Bill's wedding. I had been off tour. And the day I got off tour, they gave me, the uh, University of Louisiana Monroe gave me a phone call on to do a phone interview. And they're like, can we do a phone interview with you? I said, great. When would you like to do that? They're like, now. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I just woken up, right? <laughs> Not changed. Just came home from tour. So I was pretty dang tired. And so the inter we're doing the interview. I'm nervous as can be. Uh, and they say, uh, I said at the end, I said, I don't mean to be too forward and all, but I said, I'm leaving tomorrow to go stand up in a wedding. And then I'm going back on the road on tour for two weeks. Um, when are you looking to make a decision on this? I'm bringing someone out. 
like probably in a day or two. I said, okay, great. Thank you. They called me back in two and a half hours. They said, we want you to come out here. Can you come out here in like two days? I said, no, I'm standing up in a wedding. I said, I need to make some phone calls, but I think I can make it that soon as the wedding's done, I can come out. So I did, they booked a flight. I packed two bags. I packed a bag for a wedding. Sorry, I packed three bags, a bag for a wedding, a bag for an interview and a bag for going back on tour. Went, did Bill's wedding in between everything at the wedding. I'm practicing left and right because I have to play, I have to play a recital. I have to play with the brass trio, you know, and I'm like, I've been on tour and all like not playing anything solo rep or anything. And when I say tour, I should preface this or make sure I say that I was not on tour playing the trumpet. I was on tour teaching drum and bugle corps. Yeah. So I wasn't like in shape, like shedding, playing gigs all the time. Um, so left Bill saying went, did a two day interview in Louisiana. Uh, went, went pretty well, uh, played a Hindemith. I remember and the pianist was cranking it. It's, uh, an elder lady who's absolutely wonderful, uh, Carol Lee White, absolutely love her to death. Um, and her husband's an iconic band name, um, uh, Jack White. Anyways, I don't think I've ever played a Hindemith with anyone so loud in my life. She <laughs> is just cranking on this thing. I was like, oh man, we are going. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and so I was in the airport and all that and, and spoke with them. They're like, on my flight back, I spoke with them um, and they seemed very interested in me and they said that they'd be in touch with me and they ended up offering me the job a couple days later. And it's funny, I landed at an airport and I think it was Dayton, Ohio, maybe went to a drum corps show in a full suit. I'm the only one there sitting next to, if you know, Richard Saucedo, iconic band director, uh, but uh, at Carmel High School, he was, which is one of the top band programs in the mm -hmm. world, but also uh, a composer and arranger. Uh, Wind Sprints is one of his really well-known band works and all. I'm sitting there in the stands with Richard Saucedo in a full suit. <laughs> He's just picking on me. Mm -hmm. So that's how I won my first job. I, had, I went home after a tour. I had like two days to pack up my house and move to Louisiana where I had no clue where I was gonna live or anything. Yeah. What a wild ride it was. And it ended up becoming a five-year stint that I was there. I was a one-year. I was a one-year again. I then moved into an endowed professorship, uh, which gave me some more security, but because it was funded through an endowment, not through the school, because it was always in a, they were always having, uh, the state had a lot of money issues. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved into a tenure track because I built that studio up from four to 14 and of majors not you know there was a lot of like non-majors all and um I, during that time there I taught music appreciate for a little while I was assistant athletic band director for a little while and then eventually I just became the trumpet person so yeah it's it's been quite a ride um I will say that I did not just win the Ithaca job like that's the only job I applied for I applied for tons of jobs between my master's and coming to Ithaca College and I would never have thought in my life that I'd be at Ithaca College, which is one of the schools I auditioned at for my undergraduate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm close to home. I'm two hours and 45 minutes away from where I grew up. How wild is that? You know? Yeah. So very long story, but you know, there you have it. <laughs> oh, this is great, man. You're a great storyteller. This is good. This is good.
that's awesome. Yeah, it comes full circle. Um, so you you touched a little bit on this, but um, you know, thinking about the the teachers that you've had over the years, what um, has been your biggest takeaway, either from the teacher or just the school as a whole that you where you studied? Yeah, I want to apologize first if I leave anyone out because. <laughs> Um, I have my, I'm going to speak about my main people I taught with and maybe a couple messages I got from other people. I did not study full-time with some people, but I took some lessons and all, but I, it's really amazing how one lesson with somebody can really, um, change things for you. Um, I first want to mention that the people I learned probably the most from are my colleagues, people like you, JV and Tyler. John Stites, the people that you spend the most time with down in the practice room area. Mm -hmm. And so that it, community in the studio is the most important thing and community outside. And that was, I know this is one of your questions that you're probably going to ask, but like the transition, right? Going into from student and all that, one of the hardest things is not having that community anymore of trumpet players, I think. Uh, I mean, you have it, but you're not there, like going to lunch together, having coffee together, whatever it might be. So, um, so speaking of teachers, um, I'm going to start back with my first band director, Cameron Lane. Uh, he was a pretty scary guy to a lot of students. He had this reputation of being scary, but I really liked him. Uh, <laughs> I didn't find him scary. I just found him having standards and all. And I don't remember too much except for that. He, um, he demonstrated from the band, from, from the podium. He actually mm -hmm. demonstrated on a mellophone, if I'm correct, because he was a horn player. So I thought that was interesting. I'm pretty sure it was a mellophone, um, which is a marching horn. It's an F. Uh, looks like trumpet uses the right hand and has trumpet fingerings. But what I really remember about him is uh, just he, he let me, he let me enjoy music. You know, he let me come down and during my, my study hall and help other trumpet players. So I really thought that that was like a big deal. Um, and maybe that's not what all schools want, right? Is like a sixth grader coming down there in your study hall. Maybe they should be doing homework, but mm -hmm. I'm doing that for a living now, right? Um, playing music and teaching music. So then um, I... Middle school, I had this gentleman, uh, uh, Bacon was his last name, Gerard Bacon, Gerald Bacon, I can't remember his first name. And the same thing during study hall, I went down every study hall and he worked with me. Because I was, remember, I was sitting second last chair in the band. I was like, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> and it wasn't that I was like, I gotta play first. It's just, I didn't like that. I wasn't playing up to the potential of what other people, maybe my full potential, but the potent, like what other people were doing. So he worked with me a lot. And I had another band director, Terry Izo, who uh, was a good, uh, who was the one that actually conducted the band. Uh, Mr. Bacon was the actual brass teacher. And then I went to high school and Roseanne Denny was my first high school band director and just such a passion for music. So I took that from her and that she would have honest, deep conversations with me like a mentor would. And that 
that right there is like my number one thing as a teacher. It's like I'm a mentor and I'm teaching humans. I'm Trump is the tool to helping people become better people and I'm there for them. I'm not a trumpet teacher. I don't teach that chunk of metal. You know what I'm saying? I teach humans. So um and then a gentleman by the name of John Blickwoodell, who is my friend still, he came in. He was like maybe four or five years older than I was. I mean, he was maybe, uh, maybe six, um, but he was a younger guy. And I ended up starting teaching pr or, or taking private lessons with him. So I never took private lessons before that. Mm, I lied. I took some private lessons with Dennis Tribuzzi, who's amazing. And Dennis is like one, one of the top lead trumpet players in the Buffalo area. Um, so uh, John Blickwoodell, I take so much from this high school band director. He's my high school band director and my teacher, private teacher, but just like about the mechanics of the trumpet and how to practice and like fundamentals. I'm like, what are fundamentals? I don't know what fundamentals are. You know what I mean? Like just taking me through all that stuff and doing the stamp method, uh, buzzing, singing, air stuff. And he, he went to Oberlin, studied with Roy Popper and uh, Ryan Anthony. Um, so he brought a lot of their methodologies and but he's just such a wonderful educator. So I was learning how to teach right then and there through him. Um, and I still would talk, I mean, I still talk to him, but like I would still like go see him after I was done with high school and all play for him, get lessons and stuff like that. And so I, I haven't talked at all about college, but I think it's so important that we look at our teachers from even before them, because they're the ones that got us to that place to now I'm really serious about this, right? My undergraduate, I studied with Dr. John Ellis. He just retired from Crane. Um, number one thing I learned from Dr. Ellis was, well, there's, there's probably three things. Uh, one, Piccolo. Uh, I think anyone that knows me, Piccolo is my number one love for trumpet. That is what I love to do. And this, this man, his piccolo play is absolutely fantastic. So I heard him play my freshman year, the Scarlatti, Scarlatti arias. Mm -hmm. And my jaw just dropped. And I was like, I want to do that. And he let me start playing piccolo my sophomore year, shockingly. Uh, I think probably because I had high chops. Um, I don't always let my students do that. It depends on where they're at with things, if I think they're ready for piccolo and all. But I really excelled at it. And it was because I had such a burning passion for it in Baroque music. And he did his, his dissertation on some stuff with the trumpet being mentioned in the Bible and Baroque stuff. So like we were just a good match in that way. But one of the main takeaways I remember from Dr. Ellis was, and I, I, I told him this recently when he was, uh, I called him when he decided he was going to retire. And I'm like, I don't know if you remember this, Dr. Ellis, but you told me, you're like, I'm always or like, I'm quoting him unofficially, <laughs> not word for word. Sorry. That's Emma. <laughs> uh, she's trying to speak too. Emma. Hey, come here. Go outside. Sorry. Let me let her out. Um, so Dr. Ellis said that I still, I still have room to learn and I'm going to learn. I still believe I can improve. He'd been teaching there at that point, 28 years or something like that. I don't know. But we were talking about jazz in particular. He was talking about like, he still wants to learn how to play jazz and all. And then he did it. He actually worked on it and all. And I just found that so, I don't know, just like energizing and just like, wow, you know, like 
his job is not, I'm going to teach the same curriculum every day. I'm not going to do the same thing every day. I'm not going to look at my life and just do the same. Like, you know, I was like, I don't want that kind of job where it's a nine to five, do the same thing all the time. Cause that's going to be really boring for me. I thought. So I took that away from him. And then from Crane, an absolute wonderful music education school. Um, I just had so many great professors there and um, just really had a lot of pride in where I went to school and the people I worked with. Um, when it comes to trumpet playing, probably where I really learned the most and took off was Florida State University. Um, I, did, I, I studied natural trumpet with Brian Goff while he was still there. Uh, so that was, I think, his last year at FSU. And part of my assistantship was to work with Professor Goff and help with the transition of some things that he ran um, because they went to then just Dr. Moore. Dr. Moore was there at the time. I studied trumpet with Dr. Moore, Dr. Christopher Moore. And <laughs> I, I feel like I owe everything to Dr. Moore. I really do. Um, if it wasn't for him... I, I can guarantee you I wouldn't be where I am. Um, his, his care for his students and investing in you as a human, the way that I organize my studio now, the environment that we had at Florida State University is exactly what I've developed here, where you have unbelievable players. You have players maybe not the greatest at bell curve, right? We have this bell curve, but everyone is there to help each other out. And we compete against each other, but in a friendly way. And it's like, I use this example here at Ithaca College, and, and we saw this at Florida State University in other ways. But here at Ithaca College, we got the concerto competition. One trumpet player plays and competes. You see everyone in the audience cheering that person on. And then another trumpet player goes up from the audience, and that one's down. And we're all cheering each other on. It's that family environment and that support. You need that. Music's hard enough. So the environment, the colleagues I had, you two, John Stites, you know, everyone. But man, Dr. Moore is still a mentor to me. I call him, text him all the time. Like, hey, man, like, I need to talk to you. Stuff's going down. I'm not feeling good about this. Or how do you handle this? Or man, how do you teach six lessons in a day? I feel beyond exhausted. You know what I mean? Just like all these things. And, and then he's always there for you, you know, and and he's called and checked in on me. And so I just, I wish I could repay him. I'm like getting emotional about it, but like, honest to God, he's more than outside the trumpet. You know what I mean? Yeah. He taught me tons of stuff with the trumpet, but how to be a good human, how to work with people, um, how to care about people, uh, just all of that stuff, you know? And that's, that's the beauty I think of, of what my job is, is like, I'm more than just a trumpet teacher, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's your very long answer, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, so cool to hear that. I think you're one of the first people that really talked about, you know, teachers and mentors that they had before going to college. And I think that's super important too, because it's not like you start studying this thing in college. I mean, this starts, like you said, when you were in fourth or fifth grade, sixth grade for some of us, seventh, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, those teachers really have a big impact on your development and either sparking or, or dimming that joy for music that you could have. So yeah. that's, that's really cool. You mentioned that. I, I remember getting made fun of 
and like you play like those indoor band concerts like uh, indoor i mean a band concert like for the rest of the school right like in fifth grade and sixth grade and i'm tapping my foot playing colonel bogey march and i'm rocking out loving it i got made fun of for it i was like i literally went to my band teacher i'm like i was gonna make fun of for tapping my foot he's like there's nothing wrong with that like and i was like yeah screw all you guys i enjoyed it <laughs> you're out in the audience i'm on the stage <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Love that. Um, so we hinted at this, or you hinted at this a little bit earlier, the transition from student to becoming a, you know, working professional. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Obviously, you know, you, you mentioned too, you know, having a couple of days to pack up your things, find a place. I mean, all that stress and the job, knowing that it's a one-year position. I mean, that's added stress as well. Could you talk about that? Yeah. It depends how long you want me talking, gentlemen. So cut me <laughs> off because there's, I feel like all these questions, there's so much. And it's like, I, I really, I, I used to hide a lot of this stuff, to be honest. I used to not say a lot of things when it, only to my close friends, maybe, because I was worried about how people would perceive me. And now I'm like, being kind of like, I don't want to say on the other side, I'm not like an old fart my hill my you know everything's downhill or something like that but like making it to a place where I feel like I'm at a final destination like this is where I want to be I'm at a great place and all that job wise um I feel like I can open up a little bit more and so hopefully to help other people is really what I'm trying to say because I really felt discouraged and I I almost quit during my doctorate the last year I tell all my students this. I'm like, yeah, I almost quit. Um, uh, gosh, uh, I think I, I'm going to kind of take this question and, and break it up into some stuff here because I think it's important to mention that I had injured myself as a trumpet player. And, uh, and that was during my doctorate. And I was very quiet about it. Um, and it caused a lot of issues for me, not just playing wise, but I would say mentally it caused a lot of issues. Um, I was just, you know, I didn't feel good enough as a human with playing. I didn't feel, and I was so deeply connected to the trumpet as that's who I am. The trumpet's my identity. And it's so hard to break that. Uh, speaking of things I learned from a teacher, that was Tom Hooten that taught me that. Uh, uh, and, uh, so, <clears throat> um, I was in a lot of pain. I was on muscle relaxers for the amount of pain I was in. Um, and I didn't know, I actually didn't know that my plane injury was what was still causing issues. I injured myself playing. I took a week off and then went back to playing the trumpet. Actually, that first day I went back, I played West Side Story symphonic dances, killed the mambo solo. And I'm like, oh, well, this is great. Things are great. You know what I mean? But then I started to find that I never knew who I was going to be as a trumpet player. Was I going to be a doctoral trumpet player or is there going to be a middle school trumpet player? Was I going to have an unbelievable headache or not? So I had an overuse injury and I was doing all the work from back here and here, nothing from this area. Uh, and it was interesting because I could still play piccolo trumpet because it forced me to use this area. Um, so this was pretty bad. And I was playing, I, I, I mean, I counted, I was doing nine hours of playing like on a Monday during my doctorate. 
between teaching and three ensembles and you know every everything I was doing it was insane uh but just I'm I'm a workhorse I just push myself just keep pushing um so anyways push the story quicker um finally when I finished my degree I found someone that could help and I want to say I took lessons with everyone I was trying to get lessons with everyone and I would say the only person who really hinted on not that I had an injury but like that I needed to use this more was Philip Smith. He, he had me, I was playing Telemann for him, Telemann and D. And he's like, you need to use your corners more. And I'm like, this is so old school talk is like, literally, that's what was going through my head. I'm like, you know, I felt like old school people always talked about the muscles and like, Oh, you got to firm. You got to play top tones from top to bottom to gain strength. And I'm like, ah, I don't, whatever. And then he had me take my fingers. Like, I want you to poke here while I play. I said, are you sure? <laughs> like, that's Phil Smith, right? I'm like, I shouldn't even touch you. Like, I'm like, there's got to be like, you probably got insurance on this, you know? <laughs> um, and it was rock solid. It was rock solid. And I didn't really take anything from it for a couple of years. It finally, it's interesting how something happens. You learn something, but you're not really sure how to take it until a little bit later. I then started working with... Uh, Lewis, Lu Lu Lucinda Lewis, I think is her name, Broken Abisher's book. I think she's in the New Jersey Symphony on horn. A uh, good friend of mine suffered an injury and suggested I reach out to her. And I reached out with a video and she was so kind and responded and sent me some things. And she talked about block buzzing and things like that. And the number one thing I took from her was like, if you're, she's into baseball, she's like, if you throw your arm out playing baseball, you don't take a month off. You have to go through rehab and retrain your muscles, how to talk to each other. And uh, I didn't do that. Right. I took a week off and it was just cranking on the horn and in pain. Um, so that summer I started to work on those things and I won my job, luckily won my job. Uh, so this is where it goes into a transition. This is why I was going through it. Cause I think it's important to know like any given day. And I didn't know who was going to show up to play the trumpet. Yeah. Uh, I taught my butt off in the interview as well. So I think that helped. Uh, <laughs> and I had a recruitment plan, right? Like there's a lot of things you, the winning a college job than just playing your horn, uh, to be honest, I mean, like this past Wednesday, I was in six and a half hours of meetings and I taught for five hours. So what am I doing more? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it was super stressful having to move to a new place and pack up the vehicles and, and, and where am I going to live and everything. But I was on adrenaline. I was just thrilled to have a job, guys. Full-time job, doing what I had been working years to get. I worked that first year about 80 hours a week. I'm not lying at all. And I remember Dr. Moore telling me, actually, not Dr. Moore, Dr. Moore's wife telling me, <laughs> Barbara Moore, uh, not like Barbara Butler Moore, but Barbara Moore. <laughs> uh, and um, she said to me, she's like, yeah, when, when Chris was working his first job, he worked like 80 hours a week. And I'm like, I got my teaching load. I'm like... <laughs> Oh my God, teach like 15 contact hours. Yeah, right. I gave all this time to practice. I'm going to get better at the trumpet. Just not, hell no. I don't know how many days I didn't even get a warm up in. Just, I was like, 
flying by the, the seat of my pants. I'm like, I don't even know how to log in to check my email yet. You know what I mean? It was like, bam, let's go teaching classes I never taught before. And you got to stay ahead of the class, right? So you're reading and trying to like prepare, prepare, prepare lectures you never prepared for because I was teaching music appreciation and two courses of that. I was doing uh, marching band, I was doing uh, chamber music, I was doing trumpets, uh, you know, just whatever there was I was doing, uh, trying to recruit. And remember, I mean, at least for me, everywhere I've been, you get no load for recruiting. And I will tell you what, the <laughs> amount of hours I spend, the hours I spend recruiting is pretty insane. The answering emails, the communication, the, um, the conversations on the phone, the visits on campus, setting up a whole day so they can get to spend the day with us on campus, the free lessons, right? I mean, just going to schools, it's a lot of work and we get no load for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was working like 80 hours a week, um, burning the midnight oil um, and just doing my best because I wanted my job. And we are, so part of my job at ULM was to play in a brass trio. And if I'm sure a lot of people watching us all have played in brass quintet and it's pretty tiring and it's really rewarding. Well, now I want you to take any rest that you have out in brass quintet. And I want you to pretend you're playing probably in that fifth, sixth, eighth partial the whole time <laughs> of your horn. That's brass trio playing. And that was hard especially not being fully recovered from an injury and we would go on tour this was a, an ensemble in residence and it was awesome i mean there's a lot of days i was very frustrated with it because i'm like i'm not practicing here i am trying to do this trying to be in shape trying to like play my way the horn professor james bolden amazing player La james layfield was the trombone professor he's now in the air force band in dc um, so just amazing players. I'm just trying to like hold it together to stay with them. You know what I mean? And, um, we were on tour and we played, I think the second show, uh, on like the second day of tour. And all of a sudden I felt my shape, my face start to shake just like, which was the same thing that happened during my doctorate. When I injured myself, I felt, I went to form an embouchure and my face was just violently shaking. I couldn't stop it from shaking. And I was like, my heart was just like, go, 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 right? Um, I was scared to death because I'm like, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> That's what I thought right away. I'm like, and I told no one. And I just, I was just, I just muscled through it the best I could. And, uh, and I continued doing that. And then during the summer, I would try to work on myself. And finally, um, I was in pain, but it wasn't like awful. And there was days that were fine and all. Finally, I was able to, uh, really spend, I think it was maybe the summer, two summers before I came here, I really, really, I took some time off. And then it was like, I'm just doing this. I'm not doing anything. I'm not taking gigs, anything, and really tried to address some issues. Um, and then finally, as of last year, it was the first year I've been pain-free. So just to give you an idea, uh, so three years of my doctorate in pain, five years at my last job, one year here. So that's nine years I've played in pain, uh, you know, and, and I wanted to quit so much, so many times I wanted to quit. 
And something Dr. Moore would say to me is, can you imagine not doing this three months from now? And I couldn't. That's what kept me going was that simple question that he would ask me. I still think that to my head. When days are bad, can I imagine doing something else? Not doing this at all. And it's like, no, I can't. <laughs> so um, yeah, that journey was, it was wild because there was more to the journey than just a transition, right? Mm -hmm. So there was obviously learning like, I mean, I was, when I started at ULM, I was very like, straight lace Aaron Wittick had a jack a suit jacket on every day was quiet tried not to disturb anyone but really had like an urge to participate in helping in any way that I could and I remember the first faculty meeting eventually speaking up and just like what about doing this for recruiting and this and that and like some people are really into it you know what I mean and I think some people are like who's this new guy you know and I realized to myself, especially here at Ithaca College, I, I'm now on faculty council, which is a pretty big job. It's been pretty insane this year in the school music faculty council. There's going to be people who are like, yay. And people are like, no, you have to be, you have to be true to yourself wherever you go. I'm not, I'm not going to play the game where, oh, well, I'm working towards tenure. So I got, I'm going to tiptoe around everything. And that's probably the suggestion a lot of people give. Um, I want to be hired for me. I want to be true to me. I don't want, I think we have enough imposter syndrome in our industry and what we do ourselves that I then don't also want to not be true to who I am. So if I feel passionate about helping our students and talking about a subject that's going to be important for them, I'm going to do that. Knowing, hope, hopefully knowing that people or people knowing that my best intentions are that I'm trying to help this institution or whatever. So right at ULM right away, I just I was just like, you're gonna like me or you're not gonna like me. Um, and I didn't mean in a cocky way, it's just like, I, I, I gotta be true to who I am because otherwise you're gonna be facing another battle, right? I already felt like I had imposter syndrome as a trumpet player because I was injured and I was not anywhere near the level that I felt like I should be at as a trumpet player and hiding behind that beat me up like you wouldn't believe. So, um, yeah, I came here to Ithaca College. Uh, last transition was coming to Ithaca College. I was supposed to teach with Frank Campos, who's a uh, legendary trumpet player and teacher. He was here for, I can't remember how many years, I think over 30 years he was here. Oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed because I don't remember the number right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I was replacing Kim Dunnick, who is like, you know, ITG president, past president and all. I mean, both these gentlemen are very big with the International Trumpet Guild and all. Um, so I had some big shoes to fill. And, and so, and Frank decided very last minute uh, that he was going to retire. So then a one-year person was coming in. So all of a sudden the program was like, oof, on me at a pretty big place. And it was like, I felt pretty dang nervous, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But it's, it's been a ride and I work with amazing students, amazing colleagues, and, and just, I'm really fortunate. So, man, so just prepare. Any question you're going to ask me is probably going to take me 20 minutes to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, there you go, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, you, uh, for, you know, our next question, you've already alluded to this quite a bit, but um, 
you know, I know you talked about your injury, but maybe besides that, um, if you give, if you could give yourself some advice um, when you were in college or during your first years teaching college, uh, what would it be? Yeah, I, I can answer this one shorter, so we're good. <laughs> um, in high school, I would have told myself trying to be Maynard Ferguson is not the most important thing. Um, so, of course, in high school, I was all about Maynard. I was all about Bill Chase, and I was all about uh, Maurice Andre. That's like, that was like, Oh, and Arturo Sandoval. So what do most of them have in common? They play high notes, right? <laughs> so I would play, I eventually found, I can't tell, but I played like this all the way down in the red because I found I could play really high notes that way. And that's what mattered, gentlemen. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I've gone through three, three embouchure changes myself. Um, so I've become really good at diagnosing embouchures and injuries and things like that. And I've been, I'm really, I feel good that people feel comfortable coming to me about those things and that I can help them or help at least steer them in a direction with that. Um, cause I think we need people who can do that. And I think there's some people who it just comes natural and that's great. I'm glad they've never had to go through that, but, uh, maybe they don't know what to say or, or, or you know, haven't had to experience it or, or just are like, just place the mouthpiece here and go, you know what I mean? Like some people need a little bit more than that. So um, what was the question? Um, <laughs> oh, advice, advice. Yeah. So uh, Maynard first and all that great. Love it. Don't, don't start doing weird things to your embouchure. Uh, uh, in undergrad that fundamentals are important. I remember even saying to my teacher, I'm like, well, I don't see why I need to practice these fundamentals. Like when I could just work on the solo and, or, or the etude and it has it right there and just work it. Like when I just, my logic literally, and it kind of makes sense. The logic says, oh, well, if I have this etude that has a bunch of single tonguey, I'll just work on the etude and it's going to work on my single tonguey. Right. I'm not in that mindset anymore. Trust me. I am like, 80% fundamentals, you know, but logical young Aaron Wittick thought that that made sense. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll kill two birds with one stone and just do this thing. So I wish I would take that back from my undergrad. Um, and also, uh, well, yeah, yeah, that my master's degree, uh, going, I don't know. I don't know if I would take this back or not going in at seven, eight in the morning and not leaving till 11 PM. I think for a mental health reason, probably. Yeah. I would change that. I'd be like, I need, you need to schedule some time to do other things. Yes. I, I'll say that, that I needed to schedule and prioritize some other things in my life. Mm -hmm. I still think there's a lot of students today that complain about the workload, right. Of school and the mental toll it takes on them and all. And I agree, it's hard. And that you're the only person that's going to be able to take care of yourself. And that I strongly advise for having a counselor or whatever and making time for yourself. But another thing that a teacher of mine said, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Number one, right? Uh, number one, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Number two, 
if you really have a passion, it's what you want, you're going to make it happen. You're going to work hard, right? Mm -hmm. We're taught in school that if you're not working, someone else is. And I believe that while you're in school, that's important. When you transition to your job, you got to get out of that mind frame. And that's where I had trouble. I had a lot of trouble with that. Yes, there's always going to be someone. But academia is taking is like trying to take blood out of a stone. And you're going to be asked to do a lot. And you're going to feel, especially as maybe a junior faculty member, that you have to do a lot. Um, and since we are trained for X amount of years in school, if you're not working, someone else is. And you need to do that to stay on top. And I agree. I'm a workhorse. I'm a workaholic. I thrive. I get adrenaline on that. But now after, you know, teaching college for 13, six, no, 12 years, <laughs> um, you can't keep operating at that level, guys. You can't. Yeah. Uh, you start to lose things in your life and it hurts. You know, you start to realize things that you missed out on or relationships or whatever it is. And uh, so it's really important that you, you do take that time and whatever that might be, you know, and maybe at first it's 15 minutes, you know, but you will find that you start to become more productive. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I wish I learned earlier on during specifically my first job but i feel like just i'm being honest with everyone that's happening right now in my life and and i'm not doing well with it at all i'm gonna be honest <laughs> i'm working till 1 a.m all the time but i'm also saying aaron it's important that i eat well and that i change that aaron it's important that i go out and take my dogs for a walk every day aaron it's important that i'm working out more than half of the week and i'm trying to live those things at least baby steps you know um, so that's kind of, yeah. And then I, I think there's one more thing I want to say that I, that I really want to, want to, to bring out that I'm learning now because I'm still a student now and I love it. I learned from my students. I still go take lessons. Uh, this summer I had a couple lessons with, uh, Thomas Hooten, who to me is like one of my role models and, um, it's just, he's such a remarkable human being. I've taken lessons with Barbara Butler. Gosh, you leave those lessons and it's like, you know, it's, it's amazing. And the thing is, is most of those lessons, guys, don't have anything to do with Trumpet. What I'm taking away, at least. I'm trying to learn as a human. I do a lot of like self-help books and all that. I'm really into it. And as a teacher, I think we spend a lot more time working with our students on the mental side of things besides just, or then the trumpet. It's like, how can we teach them how to do this stuff in a, in a good, healthy way, not just physically, but mentally. So what I want to say is I've been, I've been working with a gentleman, uh, Ryan beach. Um, mm. and he's got some really great podcasts out there. I, I took, so I got into working out pretty heavily, um, during quarantine, during the coronavirus, uh, Corona 19 quarantine, um, and I know that Ryan is like, a, uh, I don't know if he's a bodybuilder, I guess. I don't know. And that's not what I'm striving for, but I really found through having a trainer 
uh, I work with a student through the school, you know, you get like, I can work with a free trainer and all that having like, this is what you're going to do. Bam, 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 bam. And here's how many reps and like all this stuff, like, this is really cool. And it takes the stress out of knowing what to do. And like, I assign things to my students all the time, but then when it's time for me to assign it for myself, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Right. It's interesting how I'm not trusting myself, even though I see the success with the students. So I went to Ryan and I said, Ryan, I'm just, I would like to have a conversation with you because you kind of do this thing where you're applying techniques that are used in working out to practicing trumpet. Um, and so I, I started working with him some and I come to find out, I know some people that I went to school with that aren't trumpet players that have been working with him too. He works with all different musicians and I've done a couple coachings with him and it has opened my eyes to some just new ways to practice that have made me more efficient. They have nothing to do with like, oh, I felt like physically I had to keep pounding away at something, but it was like, no, my approach, not even the approach of how I played, my approach mentally of how I was doing it and the amount of reps I was doing something and all, it's, it feels good to just be like, all right, I know I just need to go do this. <laughs> so you're always learning, right guys? And it's, yep. it's, it's awesome. And things like that you're doing right here. It's like, I love watching your podcast and learning from others and, you know, and just reminding things, right. Or it's sparking ideas. That's what makes what we do so exciting is every day is a new day and we can inspire each other. So. Yeah, man. That's yeah, awesome. You just kind of like blew through like four of our questions right then and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. So I'm trying, um, I'm trying, I'm trying to help you along here. Hey, no, no worries. Um, so before we finish up, let me ask you one more question. So uh, anything you want. You're heavily involved with Drum Corps International. Can you tell us a little bit about your role within DCI and how that has impacted you as a musician and teacher? Yeah. Um. So I started marching drum corps, drum and bugle corps in 2003 through 2005. So I did three years of marching drum bugle corps. I did four years of marching marching band before that. It was my freshman year, 2000. I saw in Buffalo uh, a drum corps show. And I remember seeing the cadets play their show Illuminations. And to this day, it's still like one of my favorite shows ever. And I remember seeing the Cavaliers, which funny, Richard Saucedo was there at that time arranging for them all. Uh, they did um, Niagara Falls, their show Niagara Falls. Um, so these are two like very iconic shows um, in the drum corps world. And uh, I got, so the weirdest thing happened to me. I was at the show, felt like this chill go down my body. It's like 90 degrees outside. And I'm like, <laughs> What just happened? And it blew my mind. Blew my mind. And it happened again. And I remember, I mean, like, I rem it's, you know, it's, you have those memories. Like, I remember being there, what it looked like and all. And I'm like, I got to go do that. Because it blew my mind that I got this feeling. I never felt that ever in my life. And that was the first time I felt that. And I was like, I, yeah, I got to go do this. So um, I ended up doing like a senior core thing. I tried out and did that for a little bit and it wasn't my cup of tea, nothing against senior. So senior core is an, any age core. So you can be 14 up to 90, whatever, whatever, you know what I mean? 
uh, in their week, they only do weekends. And there were several groups in Rochester, New York, which was about an hour away, hour, hour and a half away from where I live. So I um, started with that, but it, it just, it, I was young and it didn't feel comfortable for me being with that mixed age group and all. I then a couple years later started marching at the Rochester Patriots in 2003. Uh, and they would actually come pick us up at the uh, exit 49 and drive us to Syracuse because they're in Syracuse. And it was remarkable being part of this, being part of something where everyone, and, and this is my answer like to the whole thing of like, uh, or why I do it, I should say. You didn't ask me why, but I'm telling you why. <laughs> um, <laughs> being part of something where everyone is trying their best, 100%, whatever the group size might be, 154, that is a remarkable feeling. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is some energy right there that is just like, wow, we are all trying. That was the first time I learned to play lip slurs was drum corps. That is where I learned who Shostakovich was. That is where I learned who Bartok was. This is where I got introduced to so much music that I never heard in my life. I didn't come from a musical family. So I learned all these masterpieces through drum corps and then looked it up and listened to the originals. You know, um, that was the first time I performed in, 20, in front of 22,000 people. You know, that's, I mean, I was on the road. I felt like a rock star. I'm like, this is amazing, <laughs> right? And I'm getting fit. I'm playing trumpet. Well, bugle at that time and then trump eventually for me um three val bugle um, and it's interesting because i have mentors and friends from all the way back then that i'm still associated with so matthew stratton was my, what we call a caption head brass caption head the brass lead teacher runs the brass team was the gentleman who taught me in 2003 i am now uh well i was co-caption head or not co i was assistant caption head this uh, past year with Matt Stratton at the cadets. Nice. He was my teacher. I had been at the cadets for several years before him as, and I was the, uh, the, I was like, I forget my title, pedagogical coordinator at one point, assistant caption head, assistant caption head again. And I have recently, and this hasn't gone public, I guess it's going public here. I recently <laughs> have, um, <laughs> I recently have, asked to step down from that position and I am now um, in a consulting position. I'll still be working with the group, kind of still like maybe somewhat the duties as a caption and an assistant caption head, like working with the ensemble in front of them, being up in the tower and working with them. But um, due to just how crazy my life has been and, um, and things at my job, uh, I, and, and with all the coronavirus stuff, I, I couldn't commit to being full-time is really what happened. Um, so I've become a consultant and I'm really glad that they, actually I was pulling completely away and they asked me to become a consultant and I'm honored because uh, it means a lot to me. It means a ton. I, give, I, I wanna give back to the Drum Corps International. So I never marched the cadets. I ended up as Patriots and then I marched Crossman uh because i wanted to play jazz i want to be cool and cross and work really cool and uh and my mom wouldn't let me go out to the west coast to march bd because i was young and all this stuff um but i 
I fell in love with the cadets back when I first watched drum corps. Um, and uh, so one of my teachers from 2004 brought me to the cadets. So to kind of give you the rundown real quick, I, I marched to 2005. I didn't do anything in drum and bugle corps until 2013. I didn't do anything. I took off, didn't do anything in drum corps. And then at the end of my doctorate, I realized, hey, I've kind of like lost everything I really love doing, camping, drum and bugle corps, racing, building, like everything that I, like activities I love doing. So, um, so I ended up going and Russ Gavin, who uh, studied at FSU, he was, at, he still is at the Blue Stars Drum and Bugle Corps. And I taught the Blue Stars for a while as a trumpet tech and then as assistant caption head. And what a great organization. And Russ does a fabulous job there. Um, and then I decided that I was going to leave uh, doing that. And I wanted to focus, it was actually the summer that I focused on my Amisher stuff. Um, I wanted to leave and I became a consultant with a group called the Louisiana Stars. Um, and I worked with them some and it was, it was a lot of fun. And then I got a call from Drew Shanefield asking if I would come to the cadets to help turn some stuff around. There was a big transition going on and, and they were going through some hard times. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but to have this opportunity to work with one of my mentors who means a ton to me. So I went there and, uh, and I've been there through some really hard transitions, some, some bad times through leadership changes, through staff changes. And I've been there and been there um, and have been fortunate, I guess, to stick around. Uh, and it feels like family. I think that's what happens is you start to feel you, you pour so much into something that you feel like you're part of the family. That's how I feel like here at Ithaca College. I pour so much of myself into it. It feels like family. So my involvement has been all over the place. Um, the number one thing that keeps me doing it still is that collective of all the members, all the students, and all the staff one goal. And what is that goal? Excellence. It's not to win a trophy. It's excellence. We can't control. It's not, it's a non-physical contact sport. So we can't hit another drum corps and be like, all right, we're winning. It doesn't work that way. It's you doing your best. So there's so many lessons that you learn through that activity. Um, it's changed a lot. Professionally, how has it helped me? Well, it's helped me recruiting. I have kids that literally walk in the door and like, you work with the cadets or they know me. Like I'm like this superstar to them. And I'm like, ah, yeah, thank you. I'm like, you know, I mean, I don't consider myself anyone, but to them, you know, I mean the platform of DCI, you know what I mean? Just go to drum corps international, look at how many fans they have, and then go look at the, the New York Philharmonic and look how many fans they have, you know what I mean? And the numbers wait, or how many people go see a drum corps show versus go see a symphony. It's, pretty wild. I mean, the fan base is very big. Um, so I'm glad to see that there's like this stigma of like drum course bad and all that and to see it changing. Are there groups that don't treat their members well? Yeah, there are. And when I say treat them well, I, I'm talking about like maybe from sleep, maybe from just how hard they play. And I will always stick up for my members, especially as being a person who's gone through an injury. We are going to play with great technique. We're going to focus on fundamentals very, very hard. We're going to focus on how to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. That's my main mission. And as a consultant, I'm, those are things I'm always talking about is like, 
how much time on the horn, how much time off, how do we work them, uh, how much time do they get off between, you know, night and the next day playing, hydration, all those kind of things. Drum corps come a long way. And these kids are being asked, kids, these members are being asked to play harder music than they play in most of their ensembles at school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're being asked to play grade six wind band lit on a field while running and being told <laughs> when you can breathe and all. Uh, pretty impressive. But I think the skills that they learn, both as personal development and as a player, is pretty remarkable. Every year I came back from drum corps in my undergrad, my professor said how much better I sounded. And, and my professors were not really fond of drum corps. So I thought that was interesting. That they thought I sounded better. And I was like, well, I played my horn every day during the summer. That's probably better than most people. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and one thing, one last thing I want to say about it is like people that come away from drum corps, I mean, a lot of people come away and it's like drum corps on, and they're so obsessed. I think it's because they come from, they want that feeling of that community and all. And so I know at the organizations that I've worked at, um, we always have a talk with them about that and like, hey, like we want to attract people wanting to be part of this and being like over the top and all kind of pushes people away maybe. Um, And also in drum corps, it's important that if you're a trumpet player and they're talking about putting a ton of air through the horn, that maybe they're talking to the tuba player and not you, right? If we put too much air through the horn and you're on a high C, it's going to come, it's not going to sound good. So you have to be a smart musician, just like in the orchestra. You got to know when they're talking to you or what is it that they want as the result? You know what I mean? What is it that they want interpreting what a director wants and how to do that versus, you know, maybe just going insane. You got to be mature and drum corps teaches maturity. So yeah, that's drum corps for you people. (laughs) Oh, professionally, uh, I'd have to say it has, you know, it's given me a very, it's given me an elevated platform to be on. Um, I get to reach out to more people. Um, I'm asked to do a lot of talks about drum corps, which is interesting because it's not that I don't want to do it, but like I have other things to offer. <laughs> but um, like there's an organization that asked me to do a presentation on it. I'm more than happy to do it, but like I have other things I'd like to present on as well, you know? So I hope that I get those opportunities and, and maybe through me doing the drum corps presentation and doing a good job, maybe I'll open up some doors to share some other thoughts I have on things that I would really like to share with the, the community. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for all yeah, of that. There's a lot this of good Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I haven't uh, seen well, you guys drink any of your coffee. Oh, I, I finished mine. Yeah, Mine's done. done. <laughs> oh, yeah, I chugged it down. Yeah, man. Mine's like ice cold and I keep drinking it. I well, you know, we, we're just being, we're passengers here, so we're just along for the ride. <laughs> oh, That's God. right. Going along for the ride with me is. <laughs> so, be, I come in hot. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, uh, Tyler and I, we like to do a little fun segment on what are we listening to? So Aaron, as our guest, uh, this can be like, it doesn't have to be classical, it can be, you know, R&B, it can be jazz, it can be pop whatever k-pop whatever you're listening to so what what have you been checking out lately well um i'm gonna i'm gonna first start off by saying that 
the last three weeks for me has been insane with my job. Um, so it, I, if I'm driving or I'm walking, I'm usually on the phone talking to somebody. Um, I've, and so a lot of my listening, I have to say, has been my students. <laughs> um, but when I have been listening to some stuff like working out and all, um, I, I just opened up my iTunes so I can tell you. Um, I listen to a lot of stuff, all different kinds of things. So Van Halen recently, Essentials of Van Halen. <laughs> Classic. Um, I really like listening to Van Halen working out. <laughs> um, let's see here. It looks like I've been listening to some jazz, uh, some Chick Corea here, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Henderson. Um, I've been listening to this disc uh, that Tyne it's, did. It's literally just entitled Tyne because I didn't know that one. King of Gold uh, by Hoffs. Um, what else? Uh, Nirvana. <laughs> Beyonce. There you go. Happy Roots. Alicia Keys, uh, Pitbull, Creedence uh, <laughs> Clearwater. Very eclectic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remy Wolf. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Christian Scott. Uh, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Al Hurt. <laughs> like, these are things coming up. I can tell you, and I highly, highly recommend people, if you've not checked it out, this is not recent, but like, maybe for a month straight every day. I still put it on here and there. It's on YouTube. The Tiny Desk Concert by Dula Lipa. I listened okay. to that. Good. Off the charts, guys. Like, holy crap, okay? Way better than any of her recorded stuff like on albums and all. Her backup singers and her, the timing the the matching there's like one thing out of there out of tune like it's 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 pretty damn amazing uh you know i'm also uh, like speaking of pop artists that really like are impressive to me lizzo is very impressive i did on my recital last year a lizzo tune i did actually my recitals entitled renaissance to lizzo <laughs> so i did like monteverdi i did uh uh, it was like all kind of chamber stuff. I had 14 faculty members part of my recital. Uh, but I did like a Monteverdi, the Ray Mace brass quintet stuff. I did uh, I did a Louis Armstrong thing. Uh, I did uh, Lizzo's Juice. Uh, I did, uh, I think it's Morales, uh, the one with violin, um, Passion Dance. Um, I did all kinds of stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, oh, I did some of the Scarlatti arias and it was packed and the students loved it. And I'm like, that's why I try to teach is like, you may not be great at everything, but you got to do everything. Because as a trumpet player today, I think really as a musician overall, but specifically trumpet, trombone, saxophone, you got to be, you got to be doing it all in some form. You got to be willing to, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm listening. What are you guys listening to? I need some new stuff. I'm always looking for new stuff. <laughs> Tyler, what are you listening to? So there's this group I found called Brass Tracks. Mm. And uh, I never heard of them before, but a friend of mine, he has a workout playlist on Spotify. So I started subscribing to that. And so, you know, you listen to it and this group came up uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're killing. Like, it's like, 
it's more brass heavy, but they they do some covers of some pop and like R&B type stuff. And then uh, they'll also produce music uh, behind singers. And uh, wow, I was like blown away, like killer horn stuff. Like just, it's it's nice. And then uh, you mentioned Tiny Desk earlier. A friend of mine sent me uh, Kirk Franklin. Had oh, one. that's really good. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That one uh, came out, I think it was like this week or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, uh, like this week, yeah. Yeah, so my wife and I, we uh, we watched that on the TV because she really loves like gospel music. And uh, yeah, that, that bass player, man, oh my gosh, it was just, and it was really cool to see Kirk like as a, you know, music director, just like take ownership of that whole group and just knew exactly what he wanted. And I was like, wow. Like there is no second guessing that group. Like they were, it was everything was so finely tuned and lined up. So uh, yeah, those those two uh, artists I've been checking out this week. That's awesome. I love. I absolutely love gospel music, and I find that with jazz musicians, the ones who come like through gospel music are my, they're my favorite. It's yeah. just oh, it's so, so good. <laughs> yeah, Aiden, exactly. what are you listening to? Um, this week I've been listening to, uh, this artist named, um, Lucky Day. Uh, he's, uh, he had, I think he recently had a Tiny Desk, um, uh, concert on there. Like maybe this, maybe a few months ago. Um, but he's great. Uh, it's kind of like a fusion of like R&B, jazz. It's, it's a pretty good fusion of stuff. Um, I definitely, uh should check out his his newest album if you have like spotify or itunes or anything like that um but he's great i'm a big 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 fan of his um so that's what i've been checking out this week as well as kurt franklin's uh tiny desk because i i literally watched that maybe like two days ago i'm gonna go check that out yeah Yeah. definitely want to check that out no i mean i think what's really cool is like talking with colleagues and all is just to see how diverse of music we listen to. And like, I have like, I call it Aaron jams with a Z as my playlist, right? Like you make with a cassette tape and it's like, it's so all over the place and I love it. Like all music, all music has good in it. Mm -hmm. There's so much great stuff. You know what I mean? Like I love jamming out to Philip Glass. of Of course, I love our romantic composers and like, you know, Mahler and, 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 and there's, I definitely find, I don't know if you guys find like this, but there's times where you need, I have a playlist called music for the soul. Mm. And, and that's like when I just need something to like make me get back in touch for my love of music and what I need to do. And uh, when you have those pieces, like for me, it's Mahler too, Holy Grail. That's my Holy Grail piece, you know, or, you know, or something like um, the Peasley uh, night songs night songs just yeah. gorgeous like just something about it just makes me like you know there's these pieces or or like sometimes it's like an elvis tune or something. it's all over the place right you know absolutely yeah well aaron thank you again for being on our episode today our, our guests on today's episode we really really appreciate it if uh people want to contact you or follow you on any social media platforms where can they follow you uh, so I, I do have um, a Facebook fan page, Aaron Wittick Trumpet, uh, A-A-R-O-N-W-I-T-E-K Trumpet. Um, I also have a Instagram. 
I don't remember what my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on, I can tell you. I have a website too, www.aaronwittick.com, um, and on there you can um, you can uh, there's a contact me which will go to my email. You can also look me up through Ithaca College. My email's there. Uh, it looks like, gosh, guys, how do I? I think it's just Aaron Wittick on Instagram. Yeah, uh, A-A-R-O-N-W-I-T-E-K. Sorry, I had to look it up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, feel free to contact me any of those ways. Uh, I love to chat with anyone that, you know, I love talking to people and um, and learning from others. I think, it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's great connecting with people, especially during these times right now. And, and this has been a blast. I really thank you both. And I thank you both for, 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 taking the time to put together such a great resource for people. I love watching your podcasts and, and is that what we call it as a video cast video? Well, cast. We have two versions. You got the gotcha. audio version and video. It yeah. Have, I, I, that visual simulation. Yeah. I absolutely love it. It's great. Um, hearing, hearing people's story and to know that we're all human, right? We all put one pant leg on at a time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. And Tyler, where can people follow you if they want to follow you? Although I know you're on a, a social media uh, hiatus. <laughs> hiatus, yeah, man. Yeah. Hiatus. Uh, yeah, Facebook, just my name, Tyler Duncan. And then uh, Instagram, Tyler Duncan91. Again, I'm not on there, but you can send a message and it'll just sit there. <laughs> what about you, Javian? Uh, people, you can find me on Instagram at nerdyprof. And on Facebook, just my name, Javian Brabham and yeah that's where you can find me <laughs> great well thank you all for listening to another episode of coffee and clerks we hope to have more episodes out shortly and thank you for your support if you can please remember to subscribe on our youtube page as well as give us five stars on our apple podcast page and continue to listen we'll continue putting stuff out there so thank you all again and we'll see you next time